Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, everybody, this is Sandra Beck, and I am so excited to be having another Blue Star family event today on the radio. You know that they're big, big parts of my heart, and they do such good work. And we're meeting today with Kathy Roth Duquet, and she's going to talk to us about one of their new big initiatives. And they're spending a million bucks on this, so we're excited to see what you guys come up with. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hey, Sandra, it's so great to be here. It is, it is. And we get to talk about this. So this initiative is really exciting. How did it come about? We're super excited about it, Sandra. It, it came about this past uh, summer when the Black Lives Matter movement started and folks were talking about um, the experiences of African-American families throughout America uh, and issues of equity and inclusion. And it gave us an opportunity to think, Huh, you know, we in the military, we often think we tend to be better on race issues than the rest of the country. We integrated sooner, we had more people in leadership. Um, but have we asked enough questions? What, what is the experience of military families of color? And are there um, challenges that ought to be addressed that are being left off the table? Um, and as we started to look into it, we felt absolutely that's the case. Uh, you know, every military family of color you, you speak to will tell you that that is the case. And that really gave us an opportunity to bring our mission. And our mission is to help military families live their best lives so that they can continue to serve. Uh, one important aspect of that is finding a sense of belonging in the communities in which they live. For us to look at that and say, you know, what can we do to make sure that military families of color are really finding that sense of belonging in the, all of the communities in which they live today? Absolutely. And that's one of the things, you know, that we hear a lot when we do radio interviews and we put things up for the public. You know, you start hearing things of going, oh, well, this is happening in Florida. And you're like, oh, oh well, maybe it's just Florida. Well, then it's right. Texas. Well, then it's Washington. And then it's Vermont. And then it's Montana and Seattle and California. And, you know, you start seeing these trends that are happening. And they're not trends that really serve the military family, the military children and the military community. And it's already a unique condition, you know, filled with change, with a lot of loneliness, a lot of separation, you know, things that are already difficult for any family, no matter what color the family is. And when you take, you know, any group of people in the military and you start separating them, whether it be women, whether it be people of color, you know, all of those things cause our whole military machine to weaken. Yeah, I, I think that's very well said, Sandra. And it gives us an opportunity to try to do something about it, not only for our own community, but because I think military families are such a sympathetic group to the country at large that when they can see these issues reflected through the lives and experiences of military families, it gives them a different perspective on the challenges overall that families of color face in America. 
Right. Well, and when I, you know, when I talk to some of the military families in my community, one of the things I find from my civilian friends is they're like, well, we don't really want to get involved there because they're going to move in a couple of years and then our kids will be disappointed and they'll lose their best friend. And, you know, when I, you know, I've experienced that myself and, you know, it's, it's a horrifying feeling that there's already that isolation because of it being military and then now you further divide within the ranks going okay now people of color you know versus people you know it's it's just it's really insanity if you start to dissect it yeah some of the stories you're telling i think go right to the point that the first step really is to tell the stories that people connect and understand when they hear the stories blue star families the way we operate we we have a we have a, a, a battle rhythm that's listen, share, partner, and act. You know, so we start with listening always. And um, an important part for us for this initiative is listening, is doing polling and focus groups, new surveys, going back and looking at our old surveys, cutting them and seeing how what are military families of color telling us about the differences of their experiences? What new questions do we need to ask? And how do we help bring those stories to light so that people can really wrap their their arms around what the experience is, in, is, and we can let these stories speak in the voice of the people who are experiencing them themselves. Absolutely. Like, and I saw the work changes that you did when we did the Blue Star um, survey, you know, this year. And the thing that always bugged me and, you know, and I every year I would 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 complain about it to my friends and family because, Kathy, I was married and divorced. So mm-hmm. I have not remarried in 16 years, but I have had a partner for 10 years who was military. But I'm neither the wife. I'm not the spouse. I'm not the and I am a veteran daughter. So I always feel filled it out from the point of view of a veteran daughter, but that wasn't the whole story. And there were many women and men like me, especially in the divorce community that weren't keen on getting remarried right away. But because our partner was a military person and going on 10 years, (laughs) it still didn't, I didn't get to check the box. You know, I didn't get to check the spouse box. I didn't get to check the, I only got to check the daughter box. And there's so many couples cohabitating or in long-term relationships in the military, especially, you know, what frustrated me is my neighbor was married and she had her, you know, military spouse. Then down the street were two people cohabitating because we all tend to live in the same neighborhoods, you know, so she's down there cohabitating and they were together, I don't know, 15 or 20 years, but they weren't spouse considered legal spouses and both of the times their husbands were deployed and then I'm here a single mom and my boyfriend's deployed it sounds boyfriend it's stupid sounds stupid at 40 but you know (laughs) the point was all of us experienced roughly the same experiences whether you were married or not married but the services obviously weren't available you know, certain things I was excluded from. And I get that, like you have to draw the line somewhere. But when you're doing a survey this year, your survey included us, you included the girlfriends and the, you know, the, 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 and the ex-wives, like that was the thing. Like if I'm an ex-wife of a military person, am I somehow no longer military? I think that's a great point. And, you know, it's why it's so important for us to iterate, you know, to keep, Keep you know, do something and figure out what's missing and come back and do it better. And um, thanks for sticking with us on those other years. Uh, what I'd also love to tell your audience is that we get better by listening to you. So if there's something about the survey that's like really getting on your nerves, 
write us an email and let us know because that it helps us to be better. You know, I'd like to jump in for a second here because now is a really good time to thank our sponsor. And our sponsor is Best Fiends. And Best Fiends is this super fun game I played on my phone. It's something I can play with my kids, with my friends, with my family. And whenever I get frustrated, you know, we're talking today about Blue Star families and their racial initiative and their new survey and, you know, how there's lots of frustrations that come. And when we get feedback, you know, we can, when we know better, we can do better. And one of the things that helps me a lot to not get annoyed and frustrated with my kids, especially if I'm like trying to get home from work, I've hit every red light and I the come home, walk in the door and the, the, the TV is just blaring. And, you know, I just, I just can't take it one more minute. I pop into the bathroom, I whip out my phone and when I need to blow off some steam, I love playing Best Fiends. It's a top rated mobile puzzle adventure game. Like I said, it's fun for the whole family. My kids can play, my sisters who are in different states can play and we can have hours of fun and it never gets old. The music is good, they have thousands of levels, cute little characters. I've been playing this game for almost two years now, which is crazy, which shows you how you're not gonna to get bored. And what I like is it kind of calms me down. I feel a sense of accomplishment when I, when I beat a level and, you know, there's very little things in our lives today, especially as busy working moms that can really just give us some fun, you know, with no responsibility. So I really like Best Fiends and I really want you guys to check it out. And what you can do is go to Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play and download it. So download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends, friends without the R. You will never get tired of solving these puzzles. And with Best Fiends, the fun never ends. And don't blame me if you end up slightly obsessed. I love to play it when I'm waiting in line, if I'm waiting to pick up my kids. You know, it's just such a fun, it's a brain break. It, it really makes a difference in my life. So download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Now we were talking about the um, new racial initiative with Blue Star Families and you know, how much work goes into just putting a new survey together. You know, with this new initiative that's coming across, you know, speak up, you know, and I think people, especially, you know, the, the problem, I think, Kathy, and, and maybe this goes back for more of the older military moms and wives than the younger ones, yeah. but, you know, we were kind of groomed to put up and shut up. It was absolutely offensive if you, especially as a wife, would complain. Right. So we would all complain in secret, you know, over tea or in each other's houses, complain, complain. But when we were in public, it was put on that brave face and everything is wonderful. And aren't you glad to be here? And yeah. I think for some of us, that stigma is still around. And especially if you're a multi-generation military family, you know, we know that fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, you know, I have a, a, a very good friend who she and her husband were military mechanics. And now their daughter is serving in the Air Force. And then they have twin daughters that are 17. Both of them told me their plan to enlist in the Army. 
So it's not that surprising to have three, four, five generations in a military family and for the information to be passed down through the generations that, you know what, don't complain. Don't yes. don't say these things. And that I really want to put the ability for when you do these surveys, this is where you complain. Yes, that's right. And also to shift the narrative that truth telling isn't the same as complaining. Right. You know, complaining is not necessarily productive, but you know, what we're doing with the survey is let's let's reveal truths so that we can understand challenges, so we can work on addressing them in ways that make everybody stronger. And don't we want to get there? And how can we get there if we don't start with telling the truth? You know? Right. That's and, right. And, and there has been a generational shift. Um, it used to be keep everything inside, yes. and that's the right answer. But our whole society has learned that keeping things inside actually doesn't work. You know? Right. And so we have to try other strategies, strategies that work better. There is a, a survey for kids saying, you know, what are your family's um, resiliency coping strategy? And this one young boy wrote in, suck it up. It's like, yeah. We have to come up with other strategies. Right. We have to do better than that. <laughs> but that's a very, you know, that's a very... Um, you know, that's, that's a very military family answer. You know, we were told we weren't allowed to use the word suck it up, but, you know, we were told put up and shut up. You know, we were told uh, don't complain, you know, just get it done, find a way. And it's funny, Kathy, because some of that, you know, there's a flip side to everything. Some of the, the military experience that I was raised with made me really a successful single mom, made me a successful single company owner because I didn't sit and cry in my soup all day. I took five minutes, I cried in my soup, then I dusted myself off and I kept marching, you know, and I could, I could still hear my dad's voice going, carry on soldier, carry on soldier, move on soldier. And those things, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, a flip side to both of them. Like, yeah, did they make it really hard on myself? so that I couldn't fail. But then the fact that I couldn't fail <laughs> kept us in our home, you know, kept us, you know, afloat. So, you know, some of these things, you know, there's a, there's a gray line in here. And that's why I think surveys like yours give an appropriate voice to people. They give a place where you can speak up, be respected, be heard, because maybe that doesn't work in your family. And maybe that doesn't work in your community. You know, when I went head to head with some of the civilian moms in my neighborhood, when, when our Air Force mom moved in, and I'm like, you know, we got that pushback of like, well, they're just going to move in a couple of years. And I looked right at her and I'm like, your husband works for Bank of America. You've lived four places. What makes me think that you're not going to get a job transfer and now your son's going to break my son's heart because they can no longer be besties? You know, so some of it is just outdated, outworn perceptions that just don't work anymore. Absolutely. And I think in terms of going back to what you're saying about um, complaining versus soldiering on, some of it too is, are these individual problems or all the, are these systemic problems? Yes. And when there's a systemic problem, one individual can't solve that all by themselves. Right. Take military spouse unemployment. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of us military spouses think, ah, oh, I'm this educated person who has a great work history, and yet here I am unemployed again. What's wrong with me? 
Right. Well, there's nothing wrong with you. You've been moving over and over again. Your spouse has been deploying, been keeping crazy hours. You can't, you know, afford childcare, but even if you could, you couldn't cover the hours where they're gone. Right. Um, and you're unemployed, not because of your failures, but because of a system-wide problem that we have to gather all of our voices together so we can tell that story and create system-wide change. Right. And it does start with one voice. You know, and that's where, like, you know, we talk about these flip sides. So, you know, if you're the one voice that starts it, that's the scary proposition. But then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I have that same problem. And so does she. And so does she. And so does she. And we have that hair care commercial, like, and so on and so on and so on. (laughs) But it's bumpy along the ride to speak up. And one of the things that I really love about the, the, the current generation, you know, when I look at my kids, they're now 14 and 17 and by and large they don't see race they don't see sex you know like male female gender you know and they just see the person and we have a long way to go especially the older we get you know I have the unique situation Kathy of living in basically an 8 to 80 household so I have a young child I also have my veteran dad who's 87 and we have some really like crazy dinner table discussions. Sounds fun. It does sound fun. I mean, it's, you know, mostly somebody gets mad. One person usually gets mad, but then they get over it. But we come together with a greater understanding. And, you know, my dad is funny, Kathy, because he talks about our, if we get together, all of his children, plus their spouses, plus their grandchildren. And he sits there and he goes, oh my God, it looks like the UN table. Because they, you know, we lived a lot of places, we met a lot of people. So everybody in my family married whoever they loved, regardless of race, religion, education. So it's really a mixed melting pot. And that makes us stronger as a family. It makes us more loving as a family. And that's what can translate to the military family if we all just get together and start sharing in a way that's respectful. Because just like the aha moment that neighbor had of going, oh, I never thought if I were moving because my husband was transferred, that's no different than a military transport. You know, and part of me had to go like, are you kidding me? Like, duh, that really? But you know, you can't do that. You have to go, oh yeah, that's right. And so guess what? We can all be friends. We can all get along. We can share what time we have together. You know, some of the things we're learning too is that it's it's not outright hostility that's a problem, but often just um, uh, discomfort or lack yes. of familiarity. So we're, you know, we're, we're early in the stages of some of the research we're doing, but we're already hearing from some of our focus groups and things like that, that, that often people feel uh, military spouses of color will feel unwelcome because they might go to a spouse coffee and no one talks to them. Well, it may be that no one in that group is intentionally thinking, I'm going to snub this person, but they aren't proactively thinking this person might be feeling, um, you know, might be feeling isolated or might be feeling um, shy and I should reach out to them. Um, And maybe I have a particular responsibility to reach out to them because they're from a different um, racial or ethnic background and that might make them feel spotlighted. You know, there's a lot of um, times that we're not looking through the lens of another person's experience and only through the lens of our own and that 
that leads to outcomes that no one intends or right. hopes for, but but we still end up with. You know, we're hearing from a, a lot of people that there are um, military duty stations that are very uncomfortable to move their families to. Sure. Because they're in predominantly white, rural, or southern areas that don't have a good history. And that's not something that a lot of white military families have thought about. Right. Like for other families. And it, this gives us an opportunity to think about what we want to expect from our communities if we're going to continue to bring the military presence to them. Well, absolutely. And I think there also needs to be some, you know, what I call reverse education. And and I I learned this with some of the things that my kids were learning in their school because their school system is very diverse. And we had a different problem. We had a very large Middle Eastern population. And many years ago, you know, they were considered very unwelcome. And I remember a bunch of the parent meetings and they were talking about inclusion. And then one of the ladies said, well, I wouldn't know what to say. And they're like, talk mom stuff, talk kid stuff. Kid stuff is always safe. And I think with the racial tensions that that came over the past couple of years, especially, I think there's a lot of people who would normally be super friendly, but then be scared that they might say the wrong thing or hurt some, like for me, hurt somebody's feelings. And I felt really stupid in that parent meeting when the, when the, the moderator just says, talk about your kids, talk about soccer, talk about sports. There's like everything under the sun. Talk about like, what are you making for dinner tonight? Like you don't have to have some great, you know, you know, racial conversation. You can just talk food, you know? So when I look at myself and how foolish I felt, cause I got all in my head going, well, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I hurt somebody's feelings? I don't mean to. So better I sit there and say nothing. And then when the therapist who was running this, this workshop at our school said, why don't you guys talk about food? Why don't you talk about dinner? Why don't you talk about the weather? Like there's a million things to talk about, but that race thing became top of mind, you know, our country of origin became top of mind and that's all people could think about. And so I encourage anybody listening today, if you do have whatever the person is, whatever their race, creed, color, education level is, turn around and say, so what are you making for dinner tonight? Right. Just right. simple. We got to go back to simple, common core values between us. Right. And I think, you know, at the core, this is all about treating everybody with dignity and respect. Yes. And I think that's something we can all wrap our arms around. Absolutely. Because, you know, there's always a divisory element to everything. You know, when when I go to work meetings or I go to radio conventions or meet with advertisers, like sometimes you can see it. The guys sit on one sale table, the women sit on the other, or the younger women sit in one group and the older women sit in another group. Like, you know, we as people naturally divide up. I don't know why we do that, but we don't have to do that. It doesn't have to be that way. You can be the person that reaches out and says, come over and sit with us. We're all talking about what we're having for dinner tonight. Like doesn't have to be a big deal. And it works well between genders. It works well between ages. I don't know about you, Kathy, have you, I found as I get over 50, there is a little bit of ageism in some things where the kind of 40 to 50s and upset and the 20 somethings sit together. And I always love when one of my 20 something radio hosts or programmers, because I do a lot of um, computer work, they say, come sit with us. 
And I'm like, this is so much fun because, you know, you get to learn new things. You get to experience a different perspective. And in the programming world, Kathy, they, they jokingly behind my back and I know it's, it's loving, but they call me grandma because at like 45, I'm 20 years older than all the other programmers who are like 23, you know, the hot young programmers. And it's always fun because I like being grandma and I want to be the cool grandma in the group and welcomed in. (laughs) And that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants a place to belong. Everybody wants a place to belong. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to our research, I think it's, it's instructive when we start to cut we go back and look at our previous surveys and say, well, when we break it down by race, what are we seeing? Um, Well, we see that military families of color have more um, financial challenges than other families do. Sure, That's a difference. And and that's a reality in their experience. A really important thing that we see is that they are less likely to be getting information about programs and resources that are available to support them. Now, is that, why do you think that is? Is that, are we not doing a good job delivering? Now, I'm going to say, I formed Military Mom Talk Radio for the specific reason, Kathy, I came from a really small town where a lot of people went into the service because it's the only job, you know, that that was there. And I was blessed to get a first class, all paid education to Northwestern University for my undergraduate and graduate work. So I'm very thankful to them. And Military Mom Talk Radio came about 16 years ago because friends of mine who were down at Camp Pendleton were given some papers about this thing called PTSD that they hadn't really heard of. They should have called it battle fatigue. At least we'd have a fighting chance of knowing, you know, what they were talking about. But they called me and they said, Sam, you went to college. Can you tell us what this means? And I went down there and I was so upset because one of the husbands had come back from, I don't know, Iraq or Afghanistan, I can't remember, but he punched his wife in, the, in, the, in his sleep. So she went to get help and they were given this piece of paper and this is no judgment. This was 16 years ago. But what I found was many of my peer groups didn't read handing them a website domain wasn't in their wheelhouse and we formed military mom talk radio to try to get information in the hands of the military family for people who may not be readers who may not be computer people or computer literate or have not today you know, 16 years later, everybody's got a smartphone. So it's a little bit easier, but it's really hard to get information to all people. It is hard. And, and I think there's a, a representation aspect too. And um, Blue Star Families Racial Equity Initiative speaks to this. Um, people, when people don't see people who look like them in right. organizations, they don't think those organizations are for them. And as it happens, military support organizations and veteran support organizations, their memberships are disproportionately white. Yep. You know, our, our, our military is, you know, 35% or more um, minority. Um, and, and yet our membership for most military and veteran serving organizations are largely white. Staffs are largely white. Boards mm-hmm. are largely white. And so- And helping agencies are largely staffed by women. <laughs> Yeah, and white women often, Um, not always, but, um, and so that doesn't necessarily raise confidence. And so one of the things that we're doing with our racial equity initiative is that we're launching a leadership training fellowship where we're gonna be employing, um, we hope to have a class of 10 um, fellows this year. We'll be employing people full-time to work for Blue Star Families for a year 
training them to provide military support to the community. But at the same time, we're gonna be giving them leadership training above and beyond with places like the Bush Institute, um, about Ruder Foundation, working with uh, IVMF, other partners. So that we're setting them, self, setting them up for success as leaders and then partnering with other nonprofits, they'll graduate our program and go on to leadership either in Blue Star Families or in other nonprofits so that every year we'll be seeding more and more people who can represent those military families of color in the community as workers and also populate the whole field and diversify the whole field so that we could better serve the people who really do serve the country. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I remember, Kathy, you know, it's a, it's a different generation, a different time, but I remember growing up in a small community where the girls weren't allowed to play baseball. <laughs> you know, the boys could play baseball, the girls could go swing on the swings. And, right. you know, that was a big deal for me. And since I was an athlete, and I swam, you know, and I, I swam my first year in college, it was a big deal for me not to be included. And, what happened recently was my my mom passed away and my dad moved in and when my dad moved in came a box of my trophies you know my swim trophies and i never even noticed this but until i was about 10 years old all of my trophies for swimming were boys Wow. They were boys swimsuits and the kids wow. were laughing. They're like, mom, you know, you're, why do you get boys trophies? And I, and I, you know, I just accepted it because that's all I knew. And it right. was very funny to me to open this box of swim trophies and go, wow, the medals all had male swimmers on it. The, you know, and they had my name engraved on it, you know, wow. but it just shows you how, you can just accept what is because right. you don't know any different and you can't know what you don't know. It, it's not that the swim, you know, state New York state swim people were biased, gender biased or whatever. It was just what we did. And so looking at some of these things, you know, like being 10 years old and finally getting a, a, a swimmer on the trophy with boobs and a swimsuit, you know, I didn't even notice the difference, but there's so many things that I think we all take for granted, but right. whatever race you are, you just accept it that because it's all you've ever seen. And I think that's what makes initiatives like yours so vital because you're giving those aha moments right. and those type of things. You know, when I went to Northwestern, I was in a program that was primarily men it was journalism. And then I went to business school, all men. And I think we had like three women in the whole program. Right. And now I look at my kids and their group and the girls, they're just picking their colleges. The boys are picking their colleges. Like, like it's, it's nothing. So I know that we can change. Yep. Like we've gone from trophies, you know, now we have girl trophies, you know, and yep. maybe there'll be a day someday where we don't even have to have a gender trophy. Like it could be like the Oscar, the Oscar just looks like, but even the Oscar is a man, it's a man's name. So, you know, yeah. we don't want to get all goofy and crazy about this, but there's things we can do and that's what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's right. And, and it does make you know that the change is possible and that we can author it. Right. And, and not everybody who's 
a black face is or a person of color is a certain way and not every person not of color is a certain way and i think that's the thing that we have to break down the barriers and i know they're lopsided you know more one side to the other but we've got to move forward to being people serving together in the same uniform right that's right and finding that comfort in our communities and having the confidence that we can move into our communities and be welcome there because we are serving our country because the country needs us and you know that's certainly you know the 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 center mass of blue star family's mission yeah and you know it is a horrible about, thing to think of that somebody that serves right along me that their family's not welcome like that actually makes me want to cry like because you know we all know what it feels like to be unwelcome Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, when we, we have a fantastic racial equity committee that's a really diverse group of people, senior level flag officers, um, non-commissioned officers, wounded warriors, veterans, caregivers, but, you know, they've all shared stories and some of them shared stories from their earlier training days um, and being African-American training in Montgomery, Alabama, or some of the um, other uh, places down there and being told that there were certain places in town that were off limits for African-Americans because they weren't safe. And those places included the local veterans lodge. Wow. Can you imagine? We're not in a hostile country. You know, we're not at a base yeah. in some, you know, right. that borders some country that's hostile. This is our own backyard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, having, and, and then when you talk about readiness, you know, is it distracting to a special operator's um, effectiveness when his children aren't being picked for sports teams where they always were starting? Absolutely it is. You know, right. It's, you, you think I'm trained for toughness, but should my seven-year-old, my 10-year-old be trained for toughness? So all of these things undermine our ability to, you know, to be the military we want to be. And they don't, they don't serve anyone. So no. there are things we can change. We have, Blue Star Families, we have a bully pulpit. We have an opportunity to help foster this change we wanna see. And, and it's really exciting and really motivating to us to feel that we're in a position to, to do something about it. You know, even when you talk about your friend who's like, I don't wanna befriend the military family, they're gonna just move. We're in a position to tell people a different story. Right. I apologize. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I need to turn that off um, to tell people a different story and say, yeah, military people are coming and going. Other people are coming to go and going. Right. Knowing these military families is going to enrich your lifestyle. You're going to support them in doing that. You're going to feel closer to your country. And guess what? There's a catch and release opportunity here. They're going to go, but someone else is going to come. And that's going right. to be awesome. Well, and guess what? Your kids, like, because this has happened with my kids, when people get deployed, you know, like um, I ended up taking my neighbor's dog, Sally, who has been my dog now for 12 years, because uh -huh. my, my neighbors were deployed to Japan. And these were, you know, really close, close neighbors for six or seven years. Then they get deployed and we're all crying. And it turned out to be the most magical thing, Kathy, because first of all, Sally came to live with us. But that means every time they were back in the States, they came to see Sally. So yeah. we kept seeing them. But when about 
five or six years into their deployment, uh, the mom fell in a diving accident, had to have a hip and knee replacement. The dad couldn't handle on post, you know, the single dad, you know, in Japan with the things he needed to do. So one night at two o'clock in the morning, my doorbell rings and there is Aiden and John. Aiden's my son's best friend from Japan with his backpack. And John said, we asked Aiden where he wanted to go anywhere on base. And he said, I want to go to Max's house and stay with Max and Zach. So they flew from Japan on military transport to Los Angeles. This little boy came in my home for about two to three months while his mom recovered, his dad we had the best time. My kids lent him his clothes. He slept in Max's big double bed and we had the best time. And here is this opportunity for my kids to learn my opportunity, you know, to go to Japan to visit, to learn Japanese culture. We have a whole bunch of Japanese things in our house that Jackie and John would send every year for Christmas. And you know what we used to do, Kathy, which was really fun for Aiden. His biggest thing was he missed McDonald's Happy Meal toys. <laughs> so we would put together because where they were, I think, in either in Kanina or Okinawa, they didn't have them. They didn't have the same toys. So when we would, as a family, go to McDonald's, we'd be like, we got to get Aiden one. And then we would put a box of these toys together from the Happy Meals because you can actually buy them and mail them anywhere in the world. They're like a buck a piece. So we loved putting these little care packages together for Aiden in Japan. And the kids learned some of the Japanese language. They learned the um, when the tidal wave hit Japan, the kids were looking up on the map like you can't pay for this kind of education. So right. when you look at these military families, oh, yeah, they're going to move in a couple of years. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. And maybe they'll move somewhere really cool and your kids can stay in communication, learn more language, learn more culture, learn more history. And then you guys can participate in sending them care packages back and forth and broaden your kids' horizons. That doesn't sound like a bad deal to me. My daughter's best friend in preschool um, uh, was this little girl named Olivia. And then we left San Diego, but they came and visited us in North Carolina and they came and visited us in London and we met up with them at the Grand Canyon and See? You know, the, the friendship didn't have to end. Well, and that's it. That's our belief systems that we talk about these limiting beliefs. The limiting belief is I can't be with this friend, you know, they're military, they're going to leave versus I can be with this friend. And guess what, wherever they go, we can go along with them, or maybe go visit them, they can come visit here, and we can have a richer, more fantastic experience just like welcoming and inclusion. One of the things that I found, Kathy, when we were having the inclusion problems in our school district, my, my younger son befriended a little boy named Kamdeen. And Kamdeen's parents were from Iran through Germany to here. And then my other son, because of inclusion, he comes home with this Russian friend. So we're stressed, you know, when he comes in, we had the best holiday dinner at my house because everybody bought dishes from their own respective country. And then we had a couple people from the South. They brought like sweet potatoes with pecans. Oh, they were so good. But, you know, here are all these people that are just people celebrating together. And when I got the message of the spirit of inclusion that needed to happen in my community. My kids jumped on board. I jumped on board. My dad jumped on board. And we had such amazing experiences all together because at our core, we're just people. We all eat. We're all 
raising our kids, we're all just wanting to be a place in the world, be loved and love each other, respect and respect each other. And that had nothing to do with color or religion or, you know, your belief systems. If you believe that you can all get along, guess what? Magic happens. It goes back to what you were saying. Ask about food. Yep. Food, music. That's mm-hmm. another one. You know, we had so much fun with, um, you know, the the um, Iranian family had lived in Germany for a long time. So they they had all this German Christmas music. And it was really funny, Kathy, because the the mom spoke German and my dad spoke German. Wow. And it was really funny going like, who would think the people that we invite as part of our like kind of inclusion exercise for the school and there my dad becomes really good friends because they could speak the language even though they looked completely different different generations different countries of origin that's where the surprise comes in that's where you're thrilled about hey guess what we're not so different after all is your dad german or how does he speak german his his um family he was first generation uh german they were german shopkeepers meat cutters in uh that left berlin and came to new york and then he joined the military because and he was the first one in his family to be educated the first one in our family to serve and he got an engineering degree and served um in korea and you know whole different lifestyle for our family going forward so you know and people's stories are interesting that's another thing I think if you don't know what to say talk about food talk about your kids and if they're new to the community ask them where they lived before Mm -hmm. because you know what you might find some really neat things and some the whole point is to look for commonalities to look for things you can share not looking for why you're different Mm -hmm. Great point. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as we talk about this initiative, you know, we can do our own initiative work, you know, at the same time. So you talked about the education of, of, of a group of people that are going to go out and kind of populate the community with a different, um, you know, like a, a different look and feel so that people can be more comfortable with it. What are some other things that are going on over at Blue Star Family right now? Yeah, so the the racial equity initiative, it has five parts to it. Um, We have the research that we're going to be doing. And if you have um, uh, listeners who are interested in getting involved in being part of focus groups or being part of that research, taking some of the surveys, would love to have them uh, just check in with us. If they're not members already, just uh, join so that they can get our information about that. I think that's going to be fascinating. The deploy fellowships, which we're going to be hiring over the next couple months, um, opportunities to be hired for those two. Our racial equity committee is providing leadership throughout um, and uh, there will be opportunity to have more people join that. We're trying to reach out and include Native Americans and Pacific Islanders and people from a broader set of backgrounds. Um, We're going to be um, seeking to see, uh, oh, she's going to be looking at collaboration across the nonprofit space and asking other nonprofits to help come up with principles that really stand for equity and inclusion, to look at who they're serving and, and take the chance to the, the opportunity to look at your, your audiences, your memberships or your outreach and look at what the complexion is of that and could it be broader? And if so, what can you do about it? Same with your staffs and your boards, um, just do a little self audit. And finally, we're gonna really be trying to measure impact at the community level. Are people getting access to resources? What do people in the community say their experiences are? To your point, I think 
listening is a great place to start to ask people, you know, what have you had experiences as a military family of color that you think are unique? Um, and I'd just love to hear about them. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because when we know better, we do better. And yes. I want to talk a minute. Um, we've got just a couple minutes left in today's show. I want to talk about um, charities collaborating because mm -hmm. when charities come together, and this is about you know the spirit of of ultimately serving our population. I was part of bringing two charities together in Los Angeles, um, and. We had one charity that was a children's charity. They're both children's charities, but one of them had these events where homeless and foster care kids came. They got backpacks and all sorts of things delivered, you know, to them in, in a day of fun, you know, the things that they needed for the year, twice a year. And one of the biggest problems that we had was we had to store all the extra toys that weren't used. And then they were a year old. And, you know, what do you do with year old toys? And the other thing that happened is that most of the charity was funded by women and they couldn't lift the big heavy duffel bags and lift all the product and do some of this heavy lifting. And so I've been with Toys for Tots for 34 years. So I said, hey guys, can we get together in the Third Angle Co in Los Angeles? Can we provide some of the heavy lifting literally? And can we also get your toy overages? And there's a perfect, simple synergy. It's been going on probably 15 years now. But yeah. what your problem is might be somebody else's problem too. And you can get together, share your problems, and then find these joint solutions. Because now the, the children's charity that collected all the things for the homeless and foster care kids, they don't have to spend money to rent a facility for their overages, for the things to save for next year. They can bring those all over to Toys for Tots. Toys for Tots then doesn't have to um, put as much, they still put stuff in the community, but you know we have 1.3 million children in Los Angeles that need to be served. That's a heavy load for Toys for Tots. And when there's stuff sitting in a warehouse that could be delivered to those kids this year, and then the charity also didn't have to pay for security sure. detail. Yeah. And for this labor. So when you have the opportunity to talk to somebody from a like charity, if it's children to children, dog to dog, cancer to cancer, you know, things like that, take time to ask them what their problems are, because maybe your problems are their solution and their solution are your problems. And we can work together because we're all serving the greater good. Yeah, that's really part of the DNA of Blue Star Families. You know, as I said, our our, our operating uh, philosophy is listen, share, partner, and act, that third one partner. We don't do anything alone. Everything we do is with partners because we know there's nothing we can do alone that we can't do better than others. So whether it's the vaccine awareness campaign for military and veteran families that we just launched where we're partnering with um, American Red Cross or our holiday parties for wounded warrior and junior enlisted that we partner with Fisher House and a number of others. Um, really, there's not a single initiative that we do that we don't do without pulling in partners within the community. Absolutely. And there's so many MSOs out there and they're being formed at a regular basis. So make sure you check out Blue Star Families because maybe there's a partnership there, but also check out with your other like-minded groups and see where you can collaborate. Because as my dad would always say, all ships rise with the tide. So we can come in and rise together. And I want to thank Blue Star Families because you guys have been a support for my show for 
gosh, at least 12 or 15 years. I can always count on you guys to come on and share really information that people need that's valuable and powerful. And I want to commend you for leading this initiative. And may there be many grassroots that follow. I want to thank you, Kathy Roth Duque, for being here today. We'll be back again in a couple months with more from Blue Star Families. I want you guys to know they did not pay any promotional materials to be on today's show. They are here because they are too. Terrific. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.